Yeah. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Mark Henderson from Laramide Resources, and I'm here with David Thomas, our new general manager of operations in the in the United States. We're a uranium development company with uh, large, important development assets in the United States and Australia, and we're given the rise in the uranium price uh, that we are now witnessing. Uh, we think it's time to now be moving towards development as rapidly as possible, and we're here today uh, to talk to Crux and Merlin about that. Thank um, Mark, thank you very much for the introduction. David, nice to meet you too. Um, Laramide, um, it's the first I, first introduction really that I've had to the company, so I'm really excited about uh, learning more about uh, your various projects that you've got on the go. Um, you touched on a really key thing, though, which in your introduction, which is that we, we've seen this uptrend in the uranium prices, and um, I mean, you were mentioning just before we started this interview formally, you said that the um, the price when it kind of reached 65, everybody was like, here we go, we're off into, into production. But now the price has come back to 45. Are you still committed to um, development? You know, has it affected the rate at which you deploy your teams? Um, you know, how are you dealing with the current price environment at the moment? Uh, no, great, great question, Merlin. So, and I, and I've been pretty consistent. I've been on with Matt a number of times and, you know, starting in the depths of the, the long bear market that, you know, the companies that you probably are going to be interviewing now in the uranium space, they're what I call the survivor group. So all the, the real development projects in the uranium space basically mostly ended up in these set of public companies. There aren't very many of them. We think there's maybe 25 of them in, in total. And we really had to wait for the price signal to operate in order to, you know, tell us at the first that the bear market was over and then we were going to get in a price environment where these projects make sense. Historically, and, you know, if you use things like the price that the uh, American companies were trying to get when they were talking about government action around the uranium reserve and what have you, there was, there was always a number like $65. And so that was kind of the magic number, as it turned out. But my, our, our, our thesis was always that we would have this move off the bottom from 30 to 45. All the, you know, the tide would lift all boats. And that's kind of what happened. And we got to 45. And then we had this secondary move, which I think took everybody by surprise, really, including all the people in the industry, very rapidly to 65. And I think that was caused a lot by this uh, spot, which we you could talk about a little bit, you know, the Sprott Uranium physical buyer vehicle. And I think that whether that caused a buyer strike on the part of the utilities temporarily or events in, in the Ukraine situation caused people to like step back a little bit in the market. We've suddenly had this quite, um, you know, significant fall off back to sort of mid 40. Mm. The, the underlying thesis though, was that we had to get to an incentive price. And that price was, I think most people in the industry would agree that price was somewhere, but let's say between 60 and 70 that begets new production, you know, that gets the ball rolling, that gets developers developing. And our, you know, core thesis is still that we're going to get there. And we're probably, my, my gut is we'll get there again in the latter half of this year. And so I don't think the people that have started moving more quickly, I don't think anything's going to change. I think they're, we, that's what we see too. Because you'll, you'll hear from David, we're in talk to the regulators and we're not the only ones. Okay, so you're going to be, in, in your studies going forward, you're going to be picking a price somewhere between 60 and 70, probably 65 as your, as your input price, as your kind of base case um price is, is, is that what i'm hearing well i mean i think there's numbers that you can use internally i think when you're doing um technical studies certainly i know in canada there's a you know there's a trailing three-year kind of number that you're locked into whether you like it or not otherwise you don't have any credibility i do think uranium was kind of a uh 
unique little thing because even when the prices were depressed in previous periods, people used um, a numbers like 65 because you know the, the, the cost structure of the production, future production is what it is. And a lot of the sense is that we need that price in order to actually mobilize any production. Yeah. So, so, so it becomes the incentive price. Yeah. I mean, it, the, 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 the age old battle in the business has been to get the utilities to pay the price that the producers need. So they're not, you know, in the slow motion process of going broke. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now um, I've had a look through your presentation and on one of the slides there, you talk about kind of the value drivers for 2022 and you talk about exploration in um, Australia. You've got two projects in Australia. Um, and Murphy, Murphy, Murphy Rock and Westmoreland, which are up in the northeast of the country. And you've got three projects in the States, which you also talk about. You're saying that you're going to be doing um, kind of a PEA on the Church Rock project. So now I'd like to talk about both blocks of activity. Can we start... Well, where, where do you want to start? Do you want to start in the U.S. or in the, uh, in, in Australia? Uh, why, don't, why don't we start in the U.S.? And it gave in the conversation here a little bit. And obviously, those are projects. We think, by the way, that in the sequence of if you're building a production pipeline, if you will, and that's really the, you know, the, the company was built basically to be a multi-asset company that could be a supplier of choice to the Western utilities. And so you sort of do want that um, multiplicity of production, diversity of production. But obviously, the things that can come on quicker and come on with lower capex for a junior are probably preferred in any event. And so that's the nature of the projects that we own in the, in the United States, particularly Church Rock. And then obviously the, we have a small thing called LaSalle that needs to go into a custom mill that's 50 miles away that's owned by EFR. So yeah, yeah that would be our logical sequence of, you know, the logical development sequence. Church Rock is 51 million pounds of inferred resources. Um, Dave, David, do you want to kind of give us an introduction to the project and kind of, um, you know, where it's at and what needs to be done on it? Oh, good morning. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad we're doing the U.S. I'm super uh, excited, uh, uh, new to the company and have been on a, uh, a whirlwind tour of meeting with the, all the regulators and uh, getting up to speed on uh, our current status with the uh, permitting process and and looking at uh, a gap analysis on what we need to do to get into pre-production production activities. And as Mark mentioned, you know, the, the, the uh, thing I'm most excited about the, to report today is I've been to, with all the regulators on all of our projects and all of them are at, in some form or fashion, uh, basically getting shovel ready is the word I would use. Uh, and, you know, we can uh, punch list the, uh, the legal framework and permitting NEPA process and the work with the NRC to advance uh, Section 8 at Church Rock and uh, conduct a bulk uh, sample test, um, uh, which will allow us to uh, uh, advance the project into production. Uh, and as Mark also mentioned, uh, up in Utah, we have the LaSalle project, and we've met with the that that federal agency is the BLM that uh, is the lead agency there, and we're meeting with the uh, state of Utah. Um, but both, you know, we have the green light from both uh, permitting entities, um, and there was a lot of previous work, really solid work done, and because of the low price environment was really the only reason things were slowed down and kind of suspended. But 
uh, all the agencies um, look forward to advancing the uh, the projects and working with us. Uh, so that, that's a really positive thing. I, you know, all the uh, uh, industry wide, when we're talking with the regulators, they don't disclose exactly uh, who they're talking to or what projects they're looking at. But we have uh, been, you know, talking to our peers. And when we talk with the regulators, they're obviously in looking at projects near ours, which is building momentum uh, with the regulators to say like the, the industry as a whole and the needs of the, of the nation uh, and the energy policy that's being supported and promoted now by the Department of Energy and, and others are all uh, have give us some wind in our sail uh, as an industry and also as a company. Um, but just uh, thank you. That's, that's great. Um, so you, you're talking about the permitting, but you also mentioned earlier that you had, you, when you joined the company, you did a, a gap analysis of um, kind of the key projects. Now, uh, Church Rock is in New Mexico, and um, you've you've built mines. You've kind of been involved in the kind of construction and the development process of of projects. What, what were your kind of your key takeaways um, outside of the permitting? Um, you mentioned that you were going into Section Eight and perhaps doing some bulk testing. Now, what, what were the the, the 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 elements that you thought we need more work on this, more work on this, more work on this? You know, what 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 were the gaps in the gap analysis? So I think uh, you know there are uh, regulatory steps and technical uh, requirements uh, that are easily manageable from a technical standpoint, and and so that. That gives us a, a minimum amount of, of uh, drilling and testing and metallurgical work uh, that, that would not only solve, it, you would kill two birds with one stone. And that is uh, from the NRC requirements that we need for Church Rock to unlock uh, the asset. Uh, and also uh, from a company standpoint to update our PA uh, and okay. uh, PEA uh, and, and put together a business plan that shows what the next logical steps from a capex standpoint are, and uh, and then finally, I've I've reviewed two of our uh, peers' operations, one in uh, Texas and one up in Wyoming. Uh, so to familiarize myself, to be honest, with the ISR process, and I'm uh, I've done a lot of big open pit mines, underground mines for other minerals, but I can tell you that uh, you know from my standpoint and from meeting with the regulators that. ISR is a, a really exciting um, uh, opportunity for the industry and for mining in general and for our company to deploy a, a method by which has very low impact on the environment and very uh, benign impact long term. And it's a very straightforward, clean looking operation. And from a technical standpoint, the processing plant, wherever it might be, uh, we have a lot of options. Uh, so I just everything that uh, we see with the project from a technical standpoint and from a regulatory standpoint, uh, it's all doable, very doable. Okay. So, so in situ recovery, it's a, it's, it's a process that requires kind of testing. You've got to manage the flow under, un, underneath the ground. You're talking about a, a PEA. Is the plan to complete the PEA this year and then go into, um, I mean, typically resource companies go through a PEA, preliminary economic analysis, and they typically, um, the reason why it has to be called a PEA is because there's inferred material in that and the, the level of costing isn't as exact as um, is needed to be um, 
to define uh, define your your numbers down to a kind of a, a certain percentage. And also, PEAs are typically what a project might be. And then, then the companies typically go on to do a pre-feasibility study, which tightens down the, the numbers more. And it also, um, it reduces your, it, it, it throws up a, a number of options of how to skin that particular cat. It's, a, it's where the trade-off studies get done. And then you go through to the final engineering and your feasibility study. And then after that, you go to front-end engineering design. So there's this kind of a, a well-established path. And I'm just, just trying to understand why is it a PEA now? You know, what are the, why isn't it further advanced? Is it because you've got inferred resources or, you know, what is the, what's the rationale behind this is going to be a PEA this year? Well, I think that the uh, regulatory component uh, requires us to do the bulk sample and that bulk sample just unlocks that, that final step for us to issue a PEA. Uh, and, but, to, to answer your question and your input, which is excellent, we'll actually advance our capital cost estimates and development strategy right up to the detailed engineering level. And we'll, we'll include pricing uh, for the company to make a decision based on you know, all current pricing, all you know, so that we could basically go that, that we would shorten the step between the PEA and the detailed engineering and the execution of the project. Uh, during this period. Okay, so you'll sort of effectively, um, and, and the bulk sample, so in-situ recovery takes place underground, but the bulk, the, the bulk sample you'll be taking, is it going to be um, like-for-like material? Have you got access to the type material that you'll be working on? And, and presumably the bulk sample is so that you can do pilot-scale test work using the same process. Yes, uh, ex- excellent question. And the answer is... Uh, d- Definitively, yes. We are going to plan the bulk sample in a uh, location that we could ultimately convert that uh, those those drill holes into production uh, when we get permission to uh, advance the project. So, and we will also uh, mill use use a toll milling uh, operation and take the resin to uh, one of our peers that can process that for us on on a not not on bench scale, but on a actual demonstration of uh, of the resource, and we'll actually generate uh, uranium uh, yellow cake from from the uh, bulk tests, and uh, you know there it would allow us then to finalize the engineering inputs for our own uh, facility uh, processing uh, facility at some point. So you to say so. You- you're going to, the, the box sample is going to be gathered by doing um, large core drilling to get the, a, a, a selection of mineral resource samples from across the ore body. Is it, yes, that's correct. Yes. Okay. We'll, gotcha. choose a, we'll choose a, a spot that ultimately, once the project's approved from a regulatory level and from the company standpoint, uh, uh, that those wells that we drill will not just be. Uh, uh, capped off, they'll actually be converted to full production wells once we have the uh, the full scale production online. Why won't you be able to call this a pre-feasibility study? What, what's the element that gives it that keeps it in the PEA stage? Well, can I can I just an- answer because I, I just wanted to step back and the there's kind of a historical quirk here, which is why we're at it. You know, it's the right question. Why a PEA now? Why not just if you've got such a great project, why don't you do something more advanced 
right out of the gate. Mm. Um, we don't have an ec- we don't have an economic um, study around the project because the provenance of the da- data. We bought the asset. We used to be the royalty holder in this project, and this project used to have a, a crushing royalty on it, gross revenue royalty that was you know one of these legacy things that was created in the in the, the first mining boom where you know, ultimately you could have an NSR that went up to like 15% or something like that. Right. So you see some of these crazy things and you have to get rid of it. Anyway, what happened is we ended up buying out the project owner. The royalty got extinguished in the process. We got all the data. There's been 1.6 million feet of drilling. However, until we do some of our own work, we can't do any kind of economic study on it without drilling, say, let's say 10 holes. And suddenly magically, the, the continuity issue goes away and voila, you have suddenly, you, you not only have a lot of inferred, but then you have a, a, a window and an opportunity to demonstrate what the economics look like. And so otherwise, everything we've been doing to say, this is what this project looks like, you sort of have to do it benchmarking off other things. Now, the previous owner did a, I don't know what they called it, a study on Church Rock, just on, I think just on Section 8. Um, you know, they had numbers and they had $20 cash costs and all this kind of thing. But also the, the secondary quirk on this is they were a U.S. listed company, SEC filer. Nobody in the SEC has any reserves of anything. This used to be a real problem with the oil companies too, right? So when they, when they had the shale revolution, they basically had to go to the SEC and say, listen, America is an energy superpower, but we got no reserves. And so so that we have that kind of problem as well. So we're, okay. we're, we're taking our Canadian Australian mindset of what the investor analytical community expects. And you're hundred percent right. They want to, you know, their sequence is give me a PEA, then give me more um, firmness around the economic numbers and the cost, especially now capital costs. And so we will, I think what will happen is we'll do our first study and then we'll quickly accelerate to whatever the next level is, whether it's PFS or we go, straight to FS off the back of this, what's effectively a well-field test. Yeah, gotcha. Um, thank you, that's really helpful. Uh, do you have access to all of the old crew? You know, and how, how long ago was this thing drilled out? You know, what, what shape is the data in? So you had a first-hand look at all the data, so. Yeah, so we, we uh, you know, we have the luxury, one of the, uh, the huge assets uh, at all of our projects, to be honest, is that we've, uh, we have a, a huge amount of uh, geological data and previous drilling, uh, and it's it's well drilled out, which not only allows us to accelerate the uh, the bulk sample that we're uh, and location and uh, being able to use those uh, wells uh, in future production, um, but we have uh, a tremendous amount of, like Mark said, the the studies, and we we can really harness uh, the. They're all the requirements and advance the project uh, using that existing data. And just basically, we're just confirming it and, and uh, making it our own. So it's the, it's basically the dotting the I and crossing the T's, but there's, you know, if, if I had to classify our data set, it's, it's enormous <laughs> and it's uh, thorough uh, and it's, uh, you know, previous owners did uh, a professional job and uh, that it, you know, we're actually, uh, in this kind of pre-production uh, stance and 
ready to once we finish this bulk sample we would be ready to move forward in in my estimation i mean is the core physically there can you actually go into the core shed and say oh look this is where they drill section eight and you can see the core from section eight we have seen that yes and uh and the the uh the data the database and the uh the uh, nrc licensing and all of those all of that data has been peer-reviewed and um, and certified that's that's all in in very good shape and uh that we're just ready to take the next steps um and we want to do it like as mark said we want to do it logically so that investors see that we followed a path that uh is proven in other providences okay good and i, and I, I won't i promise i won't tease you too much on or, or talk to you with geological questions but some of the um the, the one or two of the other North American ISR producers have gone down the acid route because acid leach gets a slightly better recovery rate when there isn't a carbonate offering or kind of neutralizing the acid in the rock. Um, so my question is, are you sure that alkali reaches, leach is the way to go here uh, because of the characteristics of the geology in the, in the region, or are you going to test that the acid leach as well as you're just going to stick with the alkali leach we're going to it'll be confirmatory but we're you know we're uh the outcome is highly likely that you know the typical we, we won't need any kind of acid leach at this this is uh it's it's a thick zone it's uh easily recoverable uh it has good grade and we have lots of pounds so again we have all the wind in our sail um, we just need to prove that to ourselves and to uh it also ticks a box for uh, to unlock the project with the regulators. Okay, great. So, um, and can you give me a timeline on the PEA? How's the how's the how's the regulatory how's the permitting environment going to allow you to get the drill rig on site to get the uh, the bulk samples out to get the test work done, and then at the end of that, the interpretation and the report filed. So, my report to you and to Mark would be that you know we're we're. Currently, with the uh, our technical experts and consultants doing that, the final design and the work plan for that. Once we prepare that, which is imminent, we'll present that to Mark the board and get the green light. And there's really because it's on Section Eight is private land, and we have the NRC uh, authorities. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, mobilizing a rig and and getting materials uh, purchased and uh, executing the bulk sample. Um, I don't think we uh, we're going into it with clear eyes uh, that you know the U.S. is experiencing supply chain issues. Uh, you know, there's inflation, so that's the reason you know I'm duty bound to report to Mark like what the updated costs are for that sample and also the updated capital costs because. The studies that were done previously, although they're in incredibly thorough and I'm, I, I really, really uh, great work was done previously, they need to be updated for uh, 2022 and beyond. And we'll gather that data and the and the costs uh, as we proceed uh, uh, with the planning for the bulk sample. You've got 51 million pounds of church rock in inferred resources. How much of that sits within Section 8? I would say 70% of our, okay. our uh, resources in Section 8. And, you know, with technology, we might be able to unlock even more than that. Yeah, gotcha. Good. I had a question for you, Mark. It's gone completely out of my head. I can only hold one force at a time. Um, 
Never mind. Um, the next question I was going to ask is, so if this is your flagship, um, do, do you put um, La Salle, which is in Utah, and La, um, La Jara as your, kind of, your next project, or, do you, or you kind of, would you kind of like to talk about the Australian ones next as kind of the next most important? Well, I, I think um, the other two projects, La Jara Mesa is, is, the, is the one you were refer- referencing. Um, that's an ex-homestake project. And so that one is a very nice asset that we started the permitting on and never completed. And it just kind of, it just kind of ran into momentum when we had into the bear market. We've, we're basically reactivating that so we can, uh, you know, with some application of resources, turn that into a live permit, which we expect we'll get in 18 months or something like that. Now, the big issue on that one is a hard rock project and all of the mills in New Mexico, and there used to be seven historical mills there owned by big companies, including the oil companies and the American uranium boom. And when it all kind of fizzled, they literally tore down all of the milling capacity. So you only have one mill in the entire United States that can process hard rock, and that's Energy Fuels, which a company may be familiar with. And we know them well, and we had a historical uh, custom milling contract with them from 2013 that you know, obviously we can freshen that up or the terms may change or whatever. But at the end of the day, that's a, that's a economic operation that probably will revolve around having some custom feed. And so that's really more of an economic question as to when conditions get right. And that's definitely, you know, I would say that's your $65 number, maybe the base floor price number that you're going to see before you see meaningful hard rock American production just because of the cost structure there, but it has a benefit in that it's, it's, it's um, very low CapEx because the previous owner drove a, at it right to the face of the ore body. And so, you know, it's basically a small little satellite operation that can feed this plant and would get us into production quickly. And we have the initial permit for that, which was a bulk sample permit that, you know, eventually morphs into a full-time permit, but it's a small we don't even have a 43-1 resource on it, okay. but it's roughly a 3 million pound kind of asset that can produce it at, say, four to 500,000 pounds a year. So a nice starter thing for a uranium production company is the way we look okay. at it and not, and not diversionary of our resources. Yeah, gotcha. I, know, I, I, I always feel that a small operation can be just as complicated as a big operation, but... Um, um, I, I, the, the question I wanted to ask you before was, um, you know, if, if, I, if I'm looking at Church Rock and I'm an outsider and I don't really know anything about it and I just see kind of 51 million pounds of inferred resources, um, you said there's an economic study, there are previous economic studies. Are they publicly available? Are they in circulation? Have you quoted them? Is there anything that you can use in your marketing materials? I'm sure if you were um, dogged enough at, at researching, <laughs> you know, Edgar, whatever the CDR equivalent in the United States is. With like previous. So it was owned by a company called URI, which became West a company called Westwater, which is still around. They got rid of the, all of their uranium assets. They sold, but they didn't sell to us, to Encore. That's the guts of what's in Encore is all those projects that URI used to own, including they have some ISR in Texas, et cetera. And at some point in their SEC filings or what have you, they would have, they would have made this public. But it could be, you know, the last boom was 15 years ago, right? So that, and they got the NRC, the NRC license dates to 2010. Have you, have you looked at that report? Have you seen their old economic studies? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, no. Well, and also there's, there's kind of a rule of thought. Like you asked the right question, which is, 
can you recover the stuff? You know, and historically in ISR recoveries, high recoveries are considered like 70%. And our stuff is like right up there with that kind of thing with alkaline. And, you know, obviously having more of it and, you know, more pounds per well, really it's a pounds per well thing is, which really is, goes back to how good is your ore body? How wide is it? How thick is it? How much grade is there in it? And so all of those things with respect to church rock, anybody in the business knows that that's the one I want to own because it's got all those things going for it. We think as far as a geological thing, it's the best asset in the United States, not owned by Cameco, right? I mean, Cameco basically came in later and developed Wyoming and Wyoming developed as a uranium state well after um, New Mexico. New Mexico was the was the bedrock of all the American production for really about 20 years. I mean, they, for 20 years, they produced between, I think it's 12 and 19 million pounds a year. And that's where all those seven mills came from. There were underground okay. mines. There was the beginnings of ISR, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I would add um, one thing is, as I've, as I've been out with our peers and looked at the ISR technology that exists in the United States and seen best practices and spoke with with the technical teams from our peers, all of them are jealous of our church rock asset. And I don't blame them. You know, it's a, it's a very uh, well thought out project. It has great resource. Um, it's as Mark said, it's uh, you know, we're, we're going to confirm the recovery, but all indications are that it's, it's probably the flagship besides that it's our project. It's probably the flagship uh ISR project ready to go in in the states, so that's a good position to be in. Great. And um, Mark, what's the kind of the budget that you're um, the, at the board level you're allocating to um, to Church Rock this year? Um, well, I think that's kind of a fluid question, just because, as Dave mentioned earlier, we our thinking has evolved from maybe we just go in and drill some what you would consider to be like historical drill holes type things, which would have been a sub-million dollar kind of number to yeah. maybe this can turn into a well field test, which gives you a, a lot more meaningful information. And that would be a bigger number. But I mean, I don't think it's more than like a 3X type number. And, you know, we started, we'll get to Australia, but we, we kicked off over there. And that, again, is a project that, you know, we might spend a million, million and a half dollars over there in Australia. And, and keeping that in mind, we haven't spent, you know, re, uh, exploration development money on our asset base in quite a long time. So we're, you know, we're proceeding, you know, a little bit cautiously until we, until we, you know, probably beef up the treasury a little bit more than we have. I mean, we were fortunate in that um, we didn't have to do a bunch of fundraising because we'd done a, a number of fundraisings at, unfortunately, at lower prices, but they all had warrants. And then we basically just burned off our warrant overhang and now we have 10 million in the bank. So, but we're going to be cautious and costs are high and all this and everything goes slower. That's one thing I think David mentioned it. Um, and, you know, we're seeing the same thing in Australia in terms of um, availability of, of resources, including, you know, drills and people and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Survival is key. You mentioned the uranium survivors. We don't have, um, uh, fall at the last. And what might be the trigger on making that decision as to whether you would want to go for a full well field? kind of test or not is, it, is that really a is it going to come down to a price move in uranium no no no. i think i mean i think this was a i think when we david got involved and we started getting a real hard look and we you know all the whole group got together and said what's the best way forward now we think we have the environment now to get serious and let's move 
what are the best things to do? And I think this just kind of comes out, it's an evolution of, of that dialogue that happened internally about, about, you know, what's the best way to move the project forward. So no, I don't, I know. I listen, I don't think, I don't think we're, the, that project is such that if we could move forward on it, demonstrate that we're moving forward on it, demonstrate a economic study around it, which we otherwise just have to kind of speculate around or people have to go get, you know, they have to triangulate things from other things to piece together what it really is. I think we get a valuation bump and I think people would be uh, very, very happy to be, to be funding it, you know, at a, at a, at a high level. I mean, ultimately we even get to the CapEx on this and, you know, you've seen, cause you've talked to other ISR folks and everything else, you know, the rule, the rules of thumb, the CapEx on these projects is typically not high because the nature of what you're doing, you know, it's just a well filled right. and you're, you're, you know, I call it mining, you're mining water. From my standpoint, you asked a good question earlier is like, what's the trigger price? And from my experience and, and uh, being transparent with uh, uh, the company uh, on the owner side is we need to have a band of that. So it's not a price. It's a, it's a variety of, of pricing. And when we develop the, uh, the test, uh, the bulk test, I will include the minimal bulk test that gets us the, you know, the minimum amount of information that we need uh, to satisfy the regulators and ourselves, but also a case that in involves some uh, pre-investment. And so you combine both those things, uh, price and that, those uh, variations, and then you have a matrix of uh, potential outcomes and potential capital associated with each one of those outcomes. And um, that's those are you know that that's the logical next step. And from a from a a technical person and capex developer uh, and project developer, all those all systems are go to uh, to complete that work uh, for Mark. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Let's 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 go around the globe to Australia, please. Um, your two projects, um, Murphy and uh, Westmoreland. Yes, this would be maybe a good time to up that map just to sort of indicate what we're, where we're talking about and what's, got, the, and what's the background Maybe, um, mark can you give us some kind of um, an intro to these two assets okay so westmoreland is a um very substantial uh development asset that uh has been around for quite a while it was originally discovered by a uh, airborne radiometric program in the early days of uranium in australia in the late 50s it went through a number of people's hands. Ultimately, Rio Tinto owned the whole project. They were going to put it in production actually as a heat bleach, believe it or not, in the mid-90s. And then the price faded again. I mean, this uranium market is, goes through like short bursts of enthusiasm and long periods of less enthusiasm. And they basically, for one reason or another, decided to get out of Queensland altogether. And they, the, we were fortunate enough to be able to pick up the project in 05. But it was a project that where the data and effectively nothing was known about it because it was always work done by majors and not, none, nothing about it was ever in the public domain. And so we went around and then we bought the data from Rio Tinto and Rio Tinto got a small royalty out of that and some shares and things. And then we proceeded to sort of do what we're doing that we were talking about earlier on, on Church Rock and just moving the project forward. We had exactly the same issue where we had data that didn't um, wasn't of our creation and we did a series of drill programs and miraculously all the uh, inferred turned into indicator mostly into indicated and then we've done two economic studies on it and it's a big asset it's 50 million plus pounds now 
Um, it's in the lowest quartile of the cost curve, probably on where these kind of projects sit. It's a big open pit um, type problem, not that big, probably eight to 10,000 tons a day, you know, very high recoveries, very low strip. Uh, and it, but the scale of it is what's interesting. And I think we'll be interested in the utilities because it's probably around a 5 million pound a year producer versus say what we were talking about earlier, a church truck where you're starting probably at a number like a million pounds a year, ultimately going up in phases to three. So that's attractive to the utilities because they can basically take a contractual piece of it and get a meaningful amount of their kind of supply needs met and what have you. So it, it would be a top 10, just a, probably number nine or number 10 size uranium mine in the world if it were to come online as per the documents that are out there. The, the, um, the last one being 2016 was a, was a scoping study done by like a podium. And so you know, we did a lot of work on it. We've done a lot of drilling. We've probably spent 40 or 50 million dollars on it. Um, we, technically, we really don't need to know anything more about it or, or, or really make it any bigger, but we think it benefits from that. I mean, if you know, if it's so, if, it, if the whole term world class gets overused, but obviously these assets that are world class get more attention than those that aren't. One of the things we did, and you can see from this map, is we all of our Westmoreland tenements are all in Queensland. Um, and then we yeah. were, we were starting to fool around back then, um, taking on a bit of ground in the Northern Territory. And then we basically realized that Rio Tinto had this enormous slug of ground that they'd never done anything with. They never had to advance it because of kind of a quirk of the Aussie tenement system where they were actually allowed to sit on this very prospective thing for decades. And uh, on, so on, on Westmoreland or on Murphy? On Murphy, on Murphy. And so okay. Murphy was obviously very perspective. We don't have the geology on this, but if you saw the geology, you'd realize the geology basically trends over into the territory and any extensions or anything interesting or it's even a bunch of cluster of new deposits. Obviously that's very perspective. We effectively said, hey, we can own the district. Let's figure out a way to get, tie up the whole district and we, you know, we, we control it effectively. So we originally did a JV with them. Um, we took a number of steps towards completing the JV. And then they sort of said, you know what, maybe we're not as interested in uranium maybe as we once were. And also that um, you folks are good at dealing with all the stuff on the ground. Why don't you, why don't you take it from here? And so we bought them out, uh, but they have a back end. So the only quirk in their deal we have with them is that they have a back end on a billion dollar discovery on Murphy. So, um, Dave, can you just point with your mouse, just because um, it, it's only recently become apparent to me that there's a state line between um, Northern Territories and Queensland. Yes. Uh, oh. on, on, yeah. So, see, this, can you see my, uh, my yeah. This, yeah, this is, yeah, got it. This is Queensland and this is the, uh, the Northern Territory here. Yeah, and so you've, the three licenses on the left, those three ones are North-South, stack North-South, that's the Murphy Project. Yes. Yes. That's correct. Uh, and um, so in investment, from my notes, it looks as if you've got 52 million pounds kind of combined across all those resources. Um, where's, the, where's the bulk of that? Where, where do the bulk of those resources sit? Yeah, so the bulk of the resources at, at Westmoreland are in the, the you can see the, the, the bars with the three names in them. Red Tree is the biggest deposit. I would think that has probably more than half the resource. And then you have these two other deposits, uh, Janagana and Warbagoo, and they, they have some resource. And then there's this other target area that we have previously done work on. We know there's some resource there 
called Long Pocket, or it's also been called Sioux Out Camp. And, and that we did some work on. We've obviously got results that were interesting back from 10 years ago or something. Um, that can turn into a satellite deposit of some magnitude with more drilling. It, it basically just, we, I think we drilled it last in 2012 and the, you know, the Fukushima happened in 2011. And yeah. you know, after a while, everyone in the business realized this is not a short time in the penalty box. And, you know, it dragged on a lot longer than we thought. So it's a place where you, you know, immediately go back to, we could, that, that program there that we plan to do is going to be more of an infill drilling thing, trying to let's boost up the resource because, you know, if we can take the resource globally at Westmoreland from 50 to some number north of 60, who knows? Uh, obviously, I think it's, you know, it's, it makes the deposit more important in the, the, the landscape of what's out there for, for development. And that's kind of the driver of why we're doing this. The other thing is we, we, we've held this ground for a long time and you're sort of, you know, you have, you have spending commitments on these EPMs, these, the way the tenure is. And so we, we managed to negotiate down our spending commitments over time through that whole um, bear market to where we only have to spend 5 million on the tenement. These are the Westmoreland tenements over, or sorry, a million dollars over five years. But I mean, you still have to spend the money. So we're going to, now that we've got a uranium market, we're going to spend it in a place where, you know, we're going to get results that I think are, are going to make the market stand up and take some notice probably. And also, you know, knock off our commitments. Now we are trying to take the tenements there to a higher state of title. There's a one, there's one intermediate stage of title in Australia between getting a mining license and having an expiration license called the development license. And we qualify for that. And so that's, one of our other initiatives now as here is the next year or so. Well, I've got um, two, two immediate questions for you. One is, um, have you uh, or, and or will you do a radiometric survey over the West, over the Murphy project? Because that seems like a good exploration tool. And where are you drilling this year? I think there has been some radiometric stuff done over the, the territory. And I think we have that data. We also did, we spent most of our earlier stage money. This is when we were, meeting our JV commitment with Rio. We did a, we did a bunch of geophysics, airborne geophysics. And so we have all those and we have some, obviously some interesting targets. And then the first program that, that we did after we took out Rio, and I think we completed that deal in 2019 or 2020. And then we had, you know, COVID landed and COVID in Australia was very challenging for anybody doing anything. Um, And, and because of the nature of where this ground is, there's, there's, you know, you need pre-clearance and everything you're doing with your Aboriginal group. There's an Aboriginal agreement around all everything you're doing that underpins everything. And so, but it's just, it's a time consuming process and stuff. So we only finally got on the ground very late in the year last year. And we did some, um, we did some geochem work, which is obviously very, you know, that was interesting, but you know, I mean, you, you might be quite interested in it, Merlin, but being a ge- ge- geologist and everything. But most, most people aren't. Yeah, no, no. I mean, unless you're re- like, I'm talking, you're talking about inside baseball. This is like, we're really getting into inside baseball. And, you know, yeah. it, was, it was blag and stuff like that. You know, very interesting results. You've got multi-element prospectivity across a lot of it. So there's other targets there as well. And the ground also turned out to be the ground where we want to go. Of course, it always inevitable is always a bit more challenging you know, the topography and everything than, than what you were hoping for when you want to do drilling. So we're all about now getting geared up to go and do our first drill program there. There's probably one more ground truthing on the surface program to kind of narrow down things before you go in there with a, you know, a drill, because that's an expensive exploration tool, as you know. 
Um, but yeah, no, we're excited because we want to get in there and start and start, so, you know, having a crack at this. So we use this map. Just, I um, mean, um, where are you drilling? Because um, I, I, I believe you've got some rigs. You've got some rigs turning soon. Is that right? Or um, so in, in your 2022 value drivers, you talk about an initiation of um, meaningful exploration, first drilling um, at Murphy and activity at Westmoreland. So can, I just, can, you, can you just kind of put a, a timeline on that and perhaps kind of show, show me with the mouse where, or, 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 or yeah, is, so is, that, is, is that too much detail? No, 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 no. So the, we, we didn't talk, that, that slide deck that you're referring to um, doesn't include the most recent information was this news release that came out yesterday that says actually we are drilling, we've started. The, we started at Westmoreland it was just because of the logistics, the way everything worked out and everything and the sequence of the programs and the approvals. And, and so we're starting drilling a, a satellite target called Amphitheater that we're, you know, pretty excited about. It's was known before we never got around to it in the, in the previous um, history of us owning this project, just because obviously we had three, four big targets already at Westmoreland. But it's, it, you know, it's got a nice radiometric anomaly. You know, it's, we think there's a flat line kind of thing there that could be interesting and lends itself to being a satellite type deposit. So, and it's it's easy access, relatively speaking. And so we're, we're starting drilling there on that target. And it's also, I mean, it's far enough away from the uh, the core of the, where the resource is that people, you know, it's not, it's not just a tiny extension of something that we're doing. It'd be a brand new thing. Yeah. And so I think that's interesting for the, for, for, you know, it's interesting to know. And so we're doing that. And then the, the, the follow on would be, as I said earlier, to do that. And it was on that map, it would be on that Sioux outcome, outcamp area where we have our own drill data. And, and there was other drill data from previous owners. You know, you see there's a very large radiometric anomaly there. The tenor of the grades that we had, had been hitting before weren't of the same caliber as, say, Red Tree. But then, which I what? Remind me. Pardon me. What, remind me of the grade at Red Tree. Well, the grade at Red Tree, you end up drilling holes like thirty meters at point one. You know, it's so pit. So compared to that's the problem when you, when you have a good asset and and you have the guts of it are 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 basically carry everything and that's what you're obviously going to do first. You know, you start drilling satellites and 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 you get a bit ho hummish about it. But you go back and look at it in the context of there really aren't very many uranium projects, you know, and you go start drilling up a satellite and you only hit, you know, five meters of 0.05 or something. But, you know, other people would be crowing about that. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a bunch of companies in Canada that are trying to basically say, um, we get it. We found enough deep stuff in the Athabasca. Let's find some shallow stuff, which does make business sense to me more so than finding another, you know, 100 million pounds that competes with next gen um, as a business case. And so, but we have that right there. You know, we're talking about drilling 50 meters and, you know, a place where there's obviously going to be a uranium mine eventually. So that's the kind of thing. It's synergistically, you know, you find incremental stuff. It creates quite a bit of value. And that's kind of the yeah. thing. So um, it sounds as if Australia is kind of a, an exploration story, um, you know, for the next few months in, in, in terms of what Laramide is going to be bringing to the market is exploration results first from uh, the Westmoreland side of the portfolio and then subsequently from uh, from the Murphy project side. So you've got that nice kind of project development. You've got the kind of advanced um, church rock 
through the studies, through the, the, the bulk sampling, through the metallurgical test work, the flow studies, and that can lead to a PEA. And then you've got the exploration, you tack on the exploration results from Australia. And then once you get those in, you can see how you want to advance the, that project as a suite of assets. I think we have a slide to that effect there, which is kind of the, a pipeline slide that might be useful to, because that's exactly what Merlin's alluding to. Well, I mean, I, I'll just really, I, mean, I don't really need a slide, but um, Mark, are you happy with that as a kind of a, as a summary? No, absolutely. Now, the one thing we didn't mention, of course, is, you know, why aren't we charging ahead at Westmoreland? I mean, it looks like a fantastic thing. Well, the, the politics are such that we needed two things to align in order to go build the project. And that was like, I call it the two P's price and politics, you know, the price being some number, you know, used to, we used to think North of 50, let's call it the $65 number we've been talking about, say 60, 65. The other thing we need is the politics. And you have two, two States in Australia where the, the current governing political party, which is the labor party, they, they, they don't really like uranium. They claim they won't permit uranium mines and this, that, and the other thing. Now that subject could change depending on how the world feels about nuclear going forward. And really it's a, it's a green issue and the way the politics play out in Australia. Thanks. Sorry, Marcus. I was really very hard to concentrate. So the, the politics in, West, in Australia is, is quite hard to navigate. No, we, we have a specific issue, which is that the, the state party that is currently running the state where our project is ha, has a soft policy of saying, we don't, we won't permit uranium mines. And this was an outflow of the historical policy that the National Party had, which if you remember, you may not remember, but there was a thing called the Three Minds policy, which kind yeah. of encapsulated their feeling about uranium. They basically let the three mines that were up and running go, and they said, but don't bring us any more. That's gone away. The federal level is all sorted, and Australia is happy to be a uranium exporting country. We had a brief flirtation with them talking about um, nuclear power in Australia, which was, you know, as, as the pressure came on to phase out coal and everything. I think that's gone in the back burner for now, particularly given what happened in the, in the, in the national election recently. But the, the states is where all the action happens, because that's who really gives you the permit, similar to what we were talking about in the US, and it would be very similar in Canada, where the provinces really have to give you your mostly, for the most part, give you your permit. So we need, a, we need either the other government in power, who've said, we'll permit your any mine, or we need the current government to have a change of mind about their feeling about uranium and nuclear power, which is, by the way, I think is, which I think is possible in the current landscape that's evolving with massive energy crisis and everybody going, how are we going to make baseload power going forward? So we'll see, but eventually it's going to happen because the other party eventually gets in power and then this thing will get built. But so we're, we're, we're pushing it a little more cautiously because of that. But I think we're at a timeline now where we could see, that we'd be, we might be well advised to be kind of ready to go when, when we get the right political condition set up, because it could happen instantly, you know, it could happen. It'll happen on a change of power, which is what happened the last time. We had a window of time between 2012 and 2015 when you could have built Westmoreland. But, but the, other, the other side of the two P's wasn't there, which was the price. Um, so you had, you had, you need both, you need both, of those two P's to be their price and politics. Now, um, there could be something to be said for having a study ready so that, not just so that you're ready when the, when the policy does change, but also to kind of to influence policy. Because if you can go to the state government with a, um, 
a robust technical study at an advanced stage of development, which says, by the way, this is the tax generation, this is the power generation, this is the, the carbon dioxide that we're going to save, this is the lives we're going to save, um, this is the, these are the jobs we're going to create and what we're going to do for your economy. It's, it's much harder for them to be irrational in the face of overwhelming rational um, evidence, but um, we can always be disappointed by politicians, I guess. No, but but I, I, I very much agree with what, what you're thinking there. And and obviously, when the price was $25, you can't go to them and say, we got this fabulous thing, but, you know, we need $65 or $60. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I, do, yeah, I do think it sets up that, that, that dynamic. And I think we're well served by trying to do that. Now, we couldn't really go to the government, if you will, or certainly I couldn't, because for the best part of two years, Australians yeah. couldn't fly into Australia. So things are only now in the last few months opening up. So part of what we're doing with reactivating the project is partly designed to eventually be able to have that optionality on going to them and saying, listen, where are we at? And, and this right. is what's happening. And this is the project. And obviously if the project got, looks like it could get quite a bit bigger. That's interesting yeah. for that presumably as well. And the other thing we have is obviously we have a thing in the territory that was part of the motivation of, what if we find 50 million pounds of the territory? And because the territory will say, how fast can you build it? Northern Territory. Northern Territory, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, um, I, you, you said you, you, you might have the um, radiometric data um, for uh, the Murphy Project in Northern Territories. I, I would I'd love to see that. If, it, if, it, if, you're, if it's in state to be public and included in your future marketing materials, and if, it's, if it throws out some sock and great uh, radiometric anomalies, I'm sure that would be a useful tool for you. Well, we use, I think we use, we know there's a, there, there's a little deposit in there that we know about that was small, but, you know, obviously close to the surface. And I think that some of that radiometric data informed the geophysics as well, where we tended to concentrate the geophysics. So yeah, I think, you know, the, actually, you're, you're a, geoscientists so you know that there's a you know this progression from from taking a huge piece of land and trying to winnow it down to when you put a drill hole on it yeah uh, is 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 you know a long process and you got to do it deliberately and we're we're just working our way through all that we'll get yeah so i'm excited obviously that the public doesn't really care much until you get a drill hole in there and they mostly don't care until you hit something well um thank you so much i mean i Every time I do an interview with a company, I learn so much about the company just from speaking to um, the executives. And thank you very much for spending the time with me. I, I hope that in the process of, of explaining it to me, um, we'll be able to showcase it to a, a much wider audience. And I very much look forward to seeing the, the results from the, the, the work at Church Rock, the, the bulk samples, the, eventually the PEA um, permitting. And... Um, there's the exploration geologist in me that wants to see uh, good results out of North, um, Northern Australia um, and then put that in the lens or through the, through, the, through the lens of the political situation as well. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity, Merlin. I hope we'll talk again. Yeah, and we look yeah. forward to reporting the results, obviously. We're, we're excited to be back, uh, to be back drilling. Great. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for your time. And uh, uh, as excited as I am about all the domestic assets, you know, I've, I, I keep sticking my fingers in, uh, in Australia also. And I, I'm grateful that Mark lets me do that, but, you know, I'm eager to help, help advance that once these, these, uh, exploration programs come to fruition. And we, we believe we'll have every bit of success that we've planned and maybe more as, as Mark alluded to. Great. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing the results and uh, hopefully that will translate into, 
um, share press action as well. We hope so. Thank you. Thanks again, Merle. Cheers. Take care. Have a great day.